Welcome to Trapping Radio. This is your host, Clint Locklear, and I appreciate Jeff and Jeff and Sarah doing last week's show. Always a hoot. And we're going to do some questions tonight that I've that I get off of uh, email and private messages and things like that. That I think more people probably have some of these questions than you know they reach out for, or they're they're not you know sure someone's going to answer their questions, or they they don't want to start an argument on some social media platform, something like that. So. Um, well, we're going to go over several of these, and I think it's interesting some of the questions we got because it's very diverse and it's going to cover a lot of topics. And I just think it's 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 a cool way to because if someone's asking me, this is what I've learned at, at giving demos. You ask people for questions, and everybody's afraid they're going to sound dumb. And everybody's afraid that someone's going to look at them funny for their questions or think they should know it or whatever. And then if you can get somebody to ask a question, next thing you know, there's 30 questions. And they're normally really good questions because most trappers are in different, I don't know, sections is not the right word, uh, phases, that's probably better, phases in their trapping and they just they just want to know stuff and you know what happens most of the time with trapping at least with me anyway you 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 come across information you go try the information it may or may not work the way that you thought it would or it does work for a while and then it seems like it doesn't work and then you you start looking for other stuff and that's how we grow so, you know, if, you, if you've got questions you want to have on Trapping Radio, just send it to me. It's pretty simple. Clint at WolferNation.com. Just put on the tagline, question for Trapping Radio. That way that, that I can, you know, I may not get to them every week, but I can print them off like I've done these, and uh, we can cover these questions. Because if you're thinking it, other people are thinking it. So before we get into these, I want to thank our sponsors. We have great sponsors. We have honest sponsors. We have sponsors that you can count on. The first is Funky Trap Tags and Supplies. They have a full line of trapping supply. They have stuff for hunting as far as bear, hogs, and deer. They've got all kind of fishing stuff, and the fishing is about to get really good here. Uh, the leaves in Tennessee are filling out. And I don't know what it is, but Matt Jones is right. Catfish just don't eat as much if the leaves are coming off or coming on. Our water's still cool, the meat's gonna be firm, and I'm gonna be going after some catfish really, really hard coming up. My dad's coming up for about a week. He's, he's having some construction stuff done on his house. So we're gonna sit there and see what we can fill the freezer with. And I'm really looking forward to it. But if you're looking for catfish, he's got all kind of dip baits, he's got my bait, he's got hooks and lines and all that type stuff. You need to check him out because you might find out you're spending more money than you should because he's got really good deals. Next we have F&T Fur Harvesters, everything you need for trapping, hunting with hounds and predator calling. And it pretty much covers about everything in hunting except probably deer and turkey, I guess. They have 
everything you could ever imagine for trapping. They're, they, you know, they're the ones that's got the FB ones and FB twos, the dog-proof traps that are outstanding. They, they make a lot of stuff that's high quality from QSR, and they have pretty much all of the bigger names or popular names for lures and baits and about every type of trap you can imagine every type of uh, trapping piece of equipment you can imagine and it's the same way with hunting with dogs or with predator call just great company to work with F&T Fur Harvesters then we have Oki Cable and Trap Oki uh, Jeb just one of those really good guys to deal with sometimes he deals with meat sometimes with glands he's got all kind of trapping supply stuff He's just one of those guys that if you need something, he may not have it, but he'll know how to get it. That's the really cool thing about Jeb. So if you're if you're looking for buckets or, or you know something, uh, you know for Martin or Fisher, or you got some type of weird law on how you got to do raccoons, you know, whatever those are, he's probably got a way to get a hold of them. Uh, I get sodium benzoate from him just a really cool guy to deal with and when he says he's shipping it out he ships it out and that's Oki cable and trap now we have dunlap lures which jeff dunlap which he did the show last week me and jeff are doing a school this coming up september it's going to be for two days you can get all the information at wolfernation.com under the store under business course and school you get all of that and we put this school on and we give everything we can to you in two days and in the evenings we have a ton of fun not that we don't have fun during the day but it's a lot more relaxed fun and then we eat good it's in a it's in a beautiful place that's got woods and fields ponds uh, clear cuts heavy timber timber that's been cut it it's literally the perfect place to hold a trapping school because it covers every type of terrain that you can get pretty much it has it on there big open ground closed off ground and me and jeff tag team and you know besides busting each other's balls all day we try to get you between the two of us to be smarter than either one of us is individually and that's our goal for the school is for you to be better than us but Jeff makes really good lure and and bait and he's got t-shirts and some really cool hoodies I actually had his death dealer t-shirt on today when I went to the gym went really good and just down-to-earth honest products and that's what you're looking for if you're looking for lures. If you've never tried them, you should. That's Dunlap Lures. Now, I want to go over some of these questions. And we'll see how many we can get to. This is from Ethan. One of your videos on YouTube from one of the Mississippi Trappers Association meetings, I believe you talked about burying a beaver carcass and setting three traps on it on drags for coyotes. Could you explain that some more for me? I can't remember what video it was to listen to, and I don't know either. How deep, also if it's buried with dirt on top, so I won't have to worry about the buzzards. I don't have drags, even though I think I would love them. But I do have all the supplies to make some drowning cables. Excellent. 
thinking I may make about 20 feet long, anchor them on both ends, set for traps around the carcass. If I catch, they'll run to the other end to be pinned down out of the way of the carcass. Okay, this is a very simplistic way of trapping. It's a way that most people don't do today because we love complicated, sophisticated. We got to bring out tape measures and we got to know the angles. So we got to have our protractors with us and we got to have all of this stuff to make the perfect set. Because like everything else in our world today, it's heavily information based and we just love, I mean love complicated stuff. And trapping with a carcass is not complicated. This is about as close to caveman style trapping that's functional and works that you can do. It's very simple. It works off of a way that, pre that, that predators naturally, they kill something, they bury something, cats kill it, they cover it up. Dogs kill stuff, they bury parts around. It's very natural for them to find stuff like this. They're very competitive for the simple fact that they know if something else buried it, it's coming back for it, and they're greedy just like we are, so they want to get their little paws on it. So how do we use this in a simple way? And if you do a lot of beaver trapping, you can use um, roadkill house cats, you can use roadkill deer, you know, cut them up in corner uh, quarters. You can use whatever you have. If it's meat, groundhogs, muskrat carcasses, I'd use two or three. You know, you, uh, a turkey gets smacked on the side of the road, put it to work. And that's all a buried bait set is, is using something that you have. Now, when I do a lot of beaver trapping, I've got a ton of beaver carcasses. So what I normally do with my beaver carcass, I skin them, take the casters out of them, I'll take the back straps and the ham, and some of them I'll take the liver. That's normally what I do with a beaver carcass. But there's still enough on there to get a coyote excited. So what I do with a big, you know, you don't want to use a, a yo-ho trial on this. And I really don't like using a shovel, even though it would work, especially if you're in ground that you can dig in. But if you're in red clay and shirt, you're going to kill yourself with a shovel. What I carry with me when I'm doing a lot of these sets is a mattock, a pick. Um, uh, actually, what I have is an old fireman's tool. And if you go watch any of Matt Jones' videos, you're going to see that's what he uses a lot of. You can move a tremendous amount of dirt and cut through roots really quick. So what I'm going to do is I look at the size of the beaver. If it's about two foot long, it's a small beaver or a big beaver. I mean, whatever you're going to do. I don't know if I'd go through cutting one of them things in half to make two sets because it's just an absolute mess, but you could. So we're going to use a fictional set here. And let's say we're going up a four wheeler trail that connects two fields. And then we see a game trail coming into that four-wheeler trail, say, to our left. And the wind is blowing from 
the game trail to the four-wheeler trail. So as this thing decomposes and the molecules that's making the smell comes up through the dirt, the wind's going to catch it. It's going to blow it over the four-wheeler trail, which is actually the location that we want to have this set because it's going between two fields. It can be in thick brambles. It can be in pines, oaks, birch. It doesn't matter what it is. You can just do it off to the side of the trail. But what I found personally is I like, you know, off of the four-wheeler trail. But what I found is I like to actually pull that thing six, eight, ten feet off of the main travel way. And I want to have a, a, either a structure with the vegetation that makes a gap naturally or a game trail. So I'm going to go six, eight, ten feet up that. I'm going to take my fireman's tool on the mattock part, the pick part. And I'm going to dig a hole that's going to be about the depth of the beaver. So depending on how big your beaver is, you're going to need to bury the thing. So I will, you know, use the mattock and I'll rake it over to one side. I don't want it going everywhere because I'm going to use that dirt. One, it's eye peel. Two, it's not compacted. And I don't want to have to chase it down once I've dug the hole. So then I take the beaver, belly side down, and I just set it down in the hole. Then I take trapping wire, which I will double up, and I will go around its neck and the base of its tail. I will hook disposable states, like wolf fangs from F&T, and I will drive those on a 45 degree angle away from the center of the hole. And, and this is kind of important so you don't get in trouble later. So on the neck one, I'm gonna, I'm gonna drive it at a 45 degree angle out in front of its head. And then I'm gonna go to its tail. And I'm gonna drive that on a 45 degree angle, which will probably be under the tip of the tail. And I wanna get that as tight as possible. Not so tight that I start breaking the neck, but I want it as tight as possible. Then I take the loose soil that I've dug out of the hole and, and just kept it on one side and I just push that over the beaver. And because of the mass of the beaver and the, and the disturbed soil, you're going to have a mound in front of you that's probably going to be a foot tall. And it's loose. So all those good smells can still come up through it. Trust me, a cow can smell that at a dead trot. Even if there's no wind 10 foot away, he will have no trouble finding it. It normally takes, on average for me, about three to four days for this set to kick in. The bacteria in the soil will start working on that carcass. And all the bacteria is going to be farting, just like you do, just like a cow does. And the odor is going to start getting louder on your beaver or, or house cat or bobcat carcass or whatever it is that you're, you're using. And that's going to come up through that dirt and it's just going to permeate 
all the way around that. So I'm off of the main trail, I'm up a game trail or like between some big brush or rocks or you know just whatever it is in your type of terrain, cactus if you're in Texas, and then I'm six, eight, ten feet away from that where it's easiest to dig. I've got the beaver staked where it, the back of it is level with the ground. Now all that loose soil is going to be piled over the top. You're going to have leaves or sage or pine straw, whatever it is which you're at, it's all going to be mixed in. Now what it's going to look like to a predator is when a bobcat kills something and it can't eat it all. That's what it's going to look like. Every predator that's around bobcats is going to know exactly what that is. Bears do this, mountain lions do this. It's just a natural thing that they do. So you're going to have plenty of eye appeal. Probably more eye appeal than you would if you dug a dirt hole because the animal's got to be at a certain distance from that to see the hole anyway. So if, it's, if you have a big dirt hole in there and it's on flat ground, the animal's got to be pretty close to actually see the hole because everything's level, if you follow what I'm saying. But when you have this big mound of dirt with everything mixed in with this natural aroma of a carcass, you've got something that's going to get a predator's attention. I've caught coyotes, bobcats, red and gray fox, some raccoons, I would say it would work for Fisher. I would almost guarantee it work for Martin, except it's a lot of work for Martin. Anything that's going to eat something like that. And from the sky, because the, you know, the question was buzzards. Now here's where this is going to depend on where you live. If you do this in Texas, you've got about three days before the buzzards are going to be all over it. Those buzzards are not the same as the buzzards we have in Tennessee. I don't know if they're the same in Pennsylvania or Maine or Minnesota, but I can tell you that whatever, because it's a different type buzzard down there and the, the Mexican eagles, the, I think as a friend in the USDA told me once, they can smell a mouse fart at a hundred yards. They have tremendous noses. Our buzzards here, which I don't know exactly what kind they are, they almost need to see something before they go to it. Now we have a lot of eagles around here. They, they also need to see something. So if you're worried about birds of prey, you don't want to like mix in feathers, cotton balls, insulation, anything to give it more eye appeal to a, a bobcat or a coyote because you're going to also draw in birds of prey. Then you add the odor on top of that, they're going to be all over it. So how you handle this is going to have a lot to do with if you're having bird problems or not. Just a mound of dirt, except for where I've been in Texas, is not an issue. It's a, it's a weird thing about the, the, the buzzards, and I'm just thinking out loud in Texas. I played around with a lot of natural baits in Texas. So 
one of the one one of the things I played around a lot with is liver and kidneys. Any type of thing like that, I would have buzzard problems or Mexican eagle problems. I just go in, throw something over them, turn them loose. It's a felony to kill either one of those. Don't do it. So, especially an eagle or a hawk or something like that. But me just burying something or shoving something out there, like into a, a, an old badger hole that you can't see anything, they can still find it through the smell. But when I would go to more traditional, something like Federales and Boss Dog, I didn't have any problems with them. So it's almost like it's just the amount and the pureness of the rotting carcass. You have the guts and you have, it's very different than a commercial bait. So there seems to be something there. So I would leave the feathers and stuff off, even though if you're in cat country, and you don't have to worry about bird problems. If you throw some feathers in there, you're definitely going to catch more cats because it's even going to be more exciting to them. And the same for coyotes, as long as you don't go crazy. So that's one thing that we can do. Now, one thing I forgot that I did learn from Matt Jones is when I'm doing one of these sets and I take the beaver off the back of my Jeep or my buggy, I want to drop it in the trail, the four-wheeler trail, the two-track, the gravel road, the, the uh, dirt road, you know, elephant path, whatever you're on. I want to drop that on the far side away from where I'm going to put my set. And I want to physically drag that beaver carcass across that road, up the trail, to where I'm going to put the set in because an animal coming across that road is gonna smell that for several days. So keep that in mind. That's just a tip to help stuff kick off a little bit faster. So we're up the trail. We have our mound, our beavers staked in it. So where do we put the traps? See, this is where the caveman and the beauty of this comes in. The only thing you really have to think about is if the if you don't have the, the stakes tight, a coyote is pretty powerful. Now what a coyote's going to do when he comes up to this set the first time is he's going to come in on it, he's going to circle it, unless it's impossible for him to do like on with rocks, for say, or like prickly pear cactus that's just made walls like sometimes I've seen in the West. But for the most part, if you're in pines or hardwoods or fields, because this will work in an open field too, they're going to circle that. And then if you watch coyotes work something like that, that they quite, can't quite see, they're not quite sure, they're going to come up and they're going to make a couple of digs and then they're going to bolt. And they're going to go out probably 30, 40 yards and they're going to see if anything negative happens. Nothing hurt them when they were in there. Nothing's hurting them now. They run back in. They dig a little bit more. They lose their nerve. I mean, their instincts of survival are off the charts. And they would repeat this process over and over again. Now, 
you will notice if you look at tracks or you you come up on one that's like half dug up you're going to notice for the most part it's in one place wherever that coyote goes in and you have no way of knowing and if he's that close to it i'm not sure the wind plays the role that we think it does at that point when he's standing on top of it but he's going to go into one area so you have 360 that he can go but wherever he goes in and nothing bad happens, that's pretty much where he's going to stay. So that gives us two options on traps. There's two ways to look at this. You can bury the beaver and put in your traps where you think the animal's going to come in. And you'll be surprised. It's not always on the trails because they're going to get off the trail. So that doesn't necessarily mean that's how they're coming in, just because that's where the trail is, unless you have other structure there that's going to keep them narrowed down because physically they can't go anywhere else. So you could put your traps in that way, or you can do like some of the more old timers used to do. And they would put a set like this in, and they would check it every couple of days. Even if the whole beaver got eight, they would see how the coyotes were coming in. You could replace that beaver, and it's like pre-baiting, and you can, you'll know exactly where to put your traps because the coyote's gonna show you in a grand manner. But let's say you put this in and you're running a 24 hour check, which for the most of us is what it is, a 24 hour check, you know, there's some states it's got a, you know, 48 or I think, I, I could be mistaken, but I think the most is a 72 hour. But most of us that listen to this show are going to be running 24 to 36 hour checks, which is basically 24 hour checks. So you're driving by this and you look out and you see it's disturbed and you hadn't put traps around it. At that point, you go over and look at it and go, well, they're coming in right here. You will see the tracks in there. That's where you put your traps. And I would put two. I'd have them either side by side or I'd have them front to back. I'd have them one on an angle and 45 degree to the other angle. It does not matter. I would use two traps. Weird stuff happens when you're coyote trapping. And I know there's people that say they know where the coyote's going to step. And, well, Biden is a competent president. You can say it, but that don't mean it's true. That's the reason I use a lot of two traps at a set. If you wait till they start on it, you'll almost have a guaranteed catch the very next day with no monkeying around, no pulling your hair out because they're not stepping where you want them to. The way the old wolfers did this was basically, and you, you don't have to know angles or inches or anything like that. Think about, the only thing you really have to think about is when a coyote grabs a hold, when he finally decides to try to pull that animal, the first time he gets resistance, probably the first five or six times he gets resistance because you got it staked down, when he feels that resistance, he's going to leave. He'll come back, 
and he'll try that over and over again and eventually he'll go okay i can't take it with me if you don't stake the beaver he's going to grab the beaver and take it away from your set that's just what they do that's just the natural habit give your dog a bone or something with some meat on it or he finds something they never just sit down and eat they, they go off somewhere 20 30 feet I don't know why they just do that's all we got to know but when he goes to bite on that thing and he's pulling backwards now you have to start thinking about where his feet are so you have to visually in your mind you can watch a dog play tug-of-war with a dog and you can see kind of what he does with his placement for what I, what I normally do is I set the traps back somewhere between 8 and 11 inches it's just wherever it looks the best to me of where I want to put it so it's it's not a, an exact science but the great thing is when you have it staked he's gonna come back and back and back and back and eventually he'll have to eat that beaver there which is going to cause a lot of foot movement so you're really not in the wrong place am I saying that you'll always catch a beaver no I mean always catch a coyote no but you're probably gonna have a dang good shot at it the reason I use drags and the gentleman that asked this question does not is because you can catch doubles and triples on a set like this now there's many ways to do this and I'm gonna go over a few of them it depends on what you feel comfortable with and how many traps you want to set but I will promise you one thing I know it's really cool when you roll up on two trap sets and you got a coyote in each one and you can take the picture and post it on Facebook and show everybody what you did that day. That's really cool. You want to know what's really, really, really cool? Catching multiple coyotes off of a set. That's different level shit right there. It really is. So how are we going to do this if you stake the beaver or the stake the trap right at the carcass your chances of doing this go way down you may not care you just may want to catch a coyote and that's all you're worried about then stake the dang thing it's not going to hurt anything because the beaver's still going to be there you're going to have a burn circle blow it back out with the you know the stuff use all the loose dirt to put back over the beaver and reset the trap that's totally fine we're caveman trapping here we're not getting into crazy details but with a drag and doing it the way the old wolfers did like if there's a trail coming off of the four-wheeler trail we were talking about i'm going to have one and it's going to be basically a blind set you know say 10 inches back from that carcass in that trail and then I'm going to make a triangle off of that first trap do not try to overanalyze what I'm getting ready to say please you're 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 messing this up if you do old wolfers used to bury stuff and they would put three traps in a triangle 
Some of them would talk about them being 24 inches apart, 18 inches apart. They'd want them certain distances, whatever. Basically, it's you're just putting traps around the carcass. Caveman, embrace it. With a drag, you catch a coyote in any one of those three sets, he's going to blow out of there because a coyote always goes backwards when he gets caught. He does not like going forward because it's unknown in front of him. And if he just came a certain way, he knows he's okay that way. So that's where he's going to go to fight the trap. So you catch a coyote on which one of those three traps, this is, this is normally what I do, and he blows out. Well, now you got a coyote that's biting and yipping and peeing and pooping and making all kind of racket and the chains rattling. And the other coyotes that come around, it's going to definitely get their attention. But hopefully with the drag, you got him 15, 20 feet off from where you caught him. And they're going to circle that coyote and look, lo and behold, what are they going to come in contact with? Your set. Now, where the trap was is just a big hole. They're probably not going to step in that. They're going to work that from another direction. And they're going to work it from looking at the coyote that's caught and thinking that they're the winners. And they're going to start playing around with that trap set. But they're going to do it in a more agitated state or a more excited state because there's a lot of crap going on right now. They're smelling a carcass. They're watching a coyote acting like he's gone absolutely nuts. And you have a lot of commotion and drama going on. Think about a car wreck. People get around a car wreck or in a car wreck. They do some really crazy stuff. All that emotion, you just don't think straight. You can use that to your advantage. Well, if you got one off in a drag and he, another one comes up and gets caught, he's going to be off in a drag. Now you got double the chaos. You still got two holes that are sitting there. They're probably not going to step there anyway. And you got a third one waiting on the third one. I've never caught a triple doing this, but I have caught doubles. Another way that you can use this type set, especially if the wind is coming from the beaver down the game trail to the four-wheeler trail. So you got to kind of in your mind, whatever you're seeing, it's blowing from the beaver to the four-wheeler trail that's going to the two fields. I do like blind setting the trail as close as I can to the four-wheeler trail without it getting run over by a four-wheeler. If I'm the only one on it, and I know that, now I'm just going to swoop out about eight, ten inches, and I'm going to miss the trap. A lot of times, the coyotes will run up and down that four-wheeler trail repeatedly. They're smelling the beaver. They see the pile. They want to go in there. Their instincts are going, free food's not always good because a lot of times there's danger involved. So they're looking and they're smelling, but they've got this trail right there and and you will see coyote tracks especially if you're in mud or snow run up and down that it looked like a thousand coyotes have been down there so right on the edge of where the game trail meets the four-wheeler trail i like blind setting right there because then you can catch a coyote as he's pacing up and down that trail this works great 
on cattle trails. Like if you've if you've got the beaver off, you know, ten feet from a cattle trail, they will wear that cattle trail out. They're comfortable there. They're not sure about over there. So a lot of times you can pick up a coyote, which I've done this several times, off of that blind set from the main trail they're traveling as they pace back and forth trying to make their mind up. And then I'll have two or three traps around the beaver. You're probably not going to be able to make a hundred of these a day because it's just going to be super messy and the logistics of carrying around a hundred beaver don't work. But if you make five or ten and you've got a way to catch doubles or triples off of the set, the work of digging that hole and staking the beaver, it just becomes more sweeter when you come up. Because I've definitely caught coyotes and, and bobcats, fox and cats and fox and coyotes off of one of these. So that is when I was talking about a buried bait set because that's what I do, that's how I'm making that set. Now, your slide wires. That will definitely work. But a little advice on your slide wires. You need to make sure that if you're going to use them, that whatever your terrain is, that the chain cannot reach trees or brush or anything the length of it. Because what will happen is the coyote's going to be fighting that thing back and forth and he's going to get the, it just invariably it's it's Murphy's law he's going to get the chain wrapped around you know like a little small tree or something and he's not going to make it that far away so think about that the other thing is you want to make sure they're super tight because a coyote is a lot more powerful than a raccoon and if you give him a lot of slack sometimes they can kink that cable in weird places where it can't slide anymore they will actually make a, uh, almost like a, a half knot in there, which I've done because I've done a lot of slide wires when I was trapping some strip pits and I just needed to get the coyotes over an edge into high grass. After every catch, you need to either dig up the stake or do what I do and cut the stake because they're cheap Restring it out as tight as you can with another stake on the end. Don't get lazy with that or it's not going to work the second time, probably. But that's how I do a buried bait set. It's caveman-ish. It, it's not like it's a big skill thing, but it's a very natural thing. And I guarantee you, your competition is probably not doing this. So if you're somewhere, like I'm not picking on anybody from North Carolina or South Carolina, but there seems to be a genetic trait, and probably in Virginia from what I've seen from Virginia, but I know North Carolina and South Carolina, the way that people make dirt holes is a small dirt hole, it's about an inch round, it's about six inches deep, and they've got this little pattern around their trap, more like a fox trap when they're coyote trapping, 
and a count on this farm sees it on the next farm and sees it on the next farm. They learn that after a while. But just like me, I can be going 40 miles an hour on a buggy and I can see one of those dirt holes at the corner of my eye. They're, they're all perfectly the same. So if you're in somewhere where a lot of people are trapping in the same style, like North Carolina or South Carolina is, stuff like this almost comes across as magic because it's so different from what the coyotes are used to and it's more natural. So that's the, the buried bait set, at least the way that I would do it anyway. Hello, sir. Hoping your family are doing well. I have a quick question. As I've said before, I run only long springs, mainly older Victor 3s and 4s. I use mild trigger method. And what he's talking about there, if you just go, uh, if you don't know what he's talking about, every trapper should, it's where you're actually making a notch with a file that actually clicks in to the dog. And it does give you a couple of pounds of pressure. It's not a bad system. That's what a lot of the old woofers did. As well as a bent dog method, which probably doesn't work as well, but it does work. Because I know you read a lot about the old woofer books and you're aware of other methods that should work. My grandpa used to tell me about putting a small green twig very flexible under the pan. He would bend it into a V shape and place it under the pan, which would then bend and allow the trap to snap around the four pound mark. I've never seemed to get that figured out right, haha, I can imagine. However, any thoughts or, or tips to learn old ways that still work would be great. Um, this is David. David, my first recommendation, and this is not what you're asking, but it's still my number one recommendation, is to go in and spend the money and get Positrip pans put on those traps. Everything else you do besides that is lesser than. Now, I still use some pinch pans, and you may be using this for the same reason. I don't know. I use it. You know, like if I'm running 100 traps, I may have five or six pinch pans. I use them because historically it gives me a trapper's woody to use them. They are not as effective as modern traps, but I know that those things have called a ton of coyotes and cats and fox in the past. And I know historically, it's just a cool thing for me to stay in practice with. I do use the mild trigger system. You know, it's one of those things that's a pain in the butt because every couple of years, you get just enough of the, the, the filing that starts rounding out that you have to redo it. So it is kind of a pain to do and eventually you'll have to replace some stuff. But that's that's just part of it. As far as the sticks go, that's a very intriguing idea. I mean, that's super intriguing. 
I've heard this in the past. I've never seen anybody actually do it. As far as the V goes, I'm not quite sure what that was. As far as how you would make that, I, I just don't know. If anybody else knows, you know, uh, post a video or let me know, or because I'm just curious about that myself. But that did get me thinking. I wonder what a clothes hanger that you could bend to go under, you know, the on a pinch pan, you got the round part of the pan, then you have the spine that goes up in there. I wonder if you could bend a clothes, a hanger, or see, maybe, I wouldn't go number nine, but maybe number 11 wire, and have that, have them pre-made for like threes and fours, Blake and Lambs or Victors, whatever it is you're using, where you could slide that and it would already be pre-bent. You'd have to play around with this, come up with a jig or something, have it pre-bent so the wire would be right on that spine and kind of come up at an angle and you know just be just the ends, which you could use a, a hammer on to flatten out and have them kind of clip the ends of the the jaws. So you would have to figure that out going probably crossways because you don't want to get caught up in the this you know the the leverage of the traps when they close. But it would be interesting to play around with something like that and see what the poundage is to break it. Cuz you probably could find some wire whether it's welding wire or annealed, it'd have to be annealed, I'm sure. Something like that that could probably give you three, four pounds, pretty consistent by doing that. You'd probably lose it every time you made a catch, but it'd still be a cool thing to play around with. I would say if, I mean, when I use pinch pans, the Miles Trigger system is all that I use, and I miss animals because of it. I'm, I'm not gonna. I do it because it's a tradition thing with me. But if I was gonna get serious with pinch pans, this is probably more the way that I would go about looking for it. I would go to Hobby Lobby, and I would go to where they have the different types of foams. You know, they make crafts out of, or you have padding that you put on chairs or couches or anything. Not, not just batting. That's not what I'm referring to, but an actual piece of foam. And I would get three or four different kinds that seemed kind of stiff. And I would take those home and I would cut out an underall to be the exact same size of that pan. And I would put a tester on there. And the best tester is something that actually weighs four pounds or three pounds. And then the, you just kind of give it, just let it go on its own and see if that can be enough resistance to give you that three or four pounds and it fires. But then here comes the second part of this, that unless you live in a desert, foam absorbs water, which is a problem. Well then, you would almost need to get little Ziploc bags, and they're not gonna make them that small, but like I know we've got, 
I don't know what they're for. We got some one time. They're probably only an inch deep and they're, I don't know, five inches wide. I guess it's like for kids treats or something. But I'd get the smallest bag I could get and I would wrap that foam, if this works, with that bag because if you get a lot of moisture and you get below freezing, now you have a piece of ice under there and it's not gonna work. You could play around with waxing it and see if that works and, if, and if that may give you enough tension to give you three, four, or five pounds. If you're going off of coyotes only, five pounds is not a problem. But you'd have to play around with that. But the, the big issue that I've played around with foam before, because it's really simple, just put it under the pan, set the trap, is it absorbs moisture and then it freezes into an ice cube and the trap can't go off. Now if you're somewhere, like you could get away with this in Texas with just the foam. You know, the lower deserts in New Mexico probably, Arizona probably some of the western states like Wyoming, Montana, you're still going to have problems eventually. But, you know, it's not like you get we get rain here it seems like every 36 hours. If you're not dealing with that, that may not be that big of an issue. But I would look at a foam and you'd have to once you found it, you would have you need to buy enough of it so if they don't have it for a while that you've got some. It's not just foam. It would be foam that could give you enough resistance to give you that, and then it's kind of squeezing down. Now, here's one that I've never done, but I've seen people do with the MB550s wanting to get more poundage on the trigger. And this is one you're going to have to experiment with. But it, it, I know it works on the 550s, and it's in the, they're kind of flopper pans anyway. They would buy the little rubber legs that like go under a microwave, and then they would actually glue that up under the pan itself. And there's just enough, and they, they would have to trim them down. I mean, this is not something that I would do drinking a bunch of beer. You'd need to be very conscious of what you're doing. But they trim that down, and they keep testing it, and then they glue that thing somehow to the actual frame of the pan up under that dog, and it gives way more tension on the 550 than it would be stock just going off of spring power. I don't know why that wouldn't work on a pinch pan in a long spring. But it's something that you would definitely, I would say, look into. Here's one that I've got several times in the last month. And I normally stay away from this, and I'm probably going to sound like a politician, but. It's true. What is your favorite trap? And I know why people are asking that. 
because they they hear somebody on a podcast or in a video or they see catch pictures and if it's working for them it's going to work for me so whatever their trap they're using i want to get i understand that but like what is my favorite trap well i can tell you what my favorite trap is and probably none of you are going to use but a couple of them if you find them that's an mj 600 made from sterling we're talking about something that was popular in the 70s and 80s to get them today you're probably looking at 450 dollars a dozen that is my favorite trap i have some i use them i get all kind of trapper warm fuzzies when i do it's the 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 easiest bedded trap you will ever use when something sets it off they're in it and they'll die in there if you don't take them out it's similar to the mb650 but not exactly the same I can get my fingers and work the MJ600. The reason I don't use the, the MB650s is I've got big fat fingers and there's not a lot. I, I just physically get nervous dealing with that so I don't use it. But my favorite trap is MJ600. Now, production style traps that you can afford. And before I say probably my two ones that I rely on more than anything else, there's some caveats to this. When the KB550, which is no longer made, was on the market, I loved it. Absolutely loved it. I learned something from those traps that just over time, the way the rivets and the jaws were in there, you're going to have some of them that eventually won't work because it's really tight clearances. But it has a pan that goes below the jaws. It's really easy to set. And when the animal pulls, it's got this contraption on the bottom that actually adds more pressure to the jaws, but only when the animal's pulling on it. And it bedded pretty well, even with that thing on the bottom. But you can't get those anymore. If you do, they're almost collectors now, and I'm not sure you would use that for production. I've used about every type of trap that you can think of. This is going to come as a surprise to some of you. The old Victor 175s that had the high jaws, that was a good trap when it was laminated. That was a really good trap. The leverage and the fulcrums and all that on the pan, beautiful. And they held stuff. The newer ones didn't have that same reaction. But if you can find some of the old, and these are something you can't buy. These, I'm just, I'm just now rambling. But maybe you can figure out the way I think or not. I don't know. Those did very well. I've never spent a lot of time with the round jaw number three victors. So I don't really have an opinion one way or the other. To me, it was a, a very short jaw, which for some people, maybe that's what you want. 
but I just never got into it. Out in New Mexico, I was very impressed, and I don't even know if they're being made anymore, with the Sleepy Creek number three round jaws. I don't know if I would recommend that without some modifications if you're going to bring it back east with, you know, 40, 50, 60 pound coyotes. It seemed, and I've never used them in the east, but I can tell you out west, they did really well. They didn't seem like they had enough material to handle the abuse of bringing it back east. But a coyote in the high deserts of New Mexico, a big one, I'm talking a monster granddaddy, steroid-taking bodybuilding coyote is 32 pounds. The average, if you weigh them, is probably 22, 24 pounds. And they only have sand to fight, where we were trapping, outside of Las Cruces. They did amazing. They, they bedded well. We didn't have any issues whatsoever. Not sure I'd bring those back east. I started off because being an O'Gorman student, number three, Bridger, and this was back before you had a an option for a dogless, a number three Bridger Canadian modified. Awesome trap except for one thing. If you pay attention to this, you're not going to have a problem with it, but you need to be aware of it. The Number three bridgers, unless they've changed them, and they may have, I mean, a caving in them are really smart, so they, they definitely changed it on the dogless. There's not a lot of room between a set pan on a number three bridger and the base plate. So if you're not very careful about stuff getting under there, it can keep the pan from going down. I used them for years. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of coyotes were caught with those. I would base plate them. I would bubble tip them. I would double laminate them. Canadian modified. Actually, that trap, if I'm not mistaken, was the absolute no close second winner in the government BMP's best management practice coyote trap. Less damage. They didn't get out all that type stuff. Great trap, but you need to watch the lower pan. Like I said, Tim's probably fixed this anyway. But that led me down to when they came out with the dogless number three bridgers. To me, it's, it's as close to a decently priced production trap that, that, that I can grab. I feel confident when I grab those things. I've used them in Texas. I've used them in the east. I've used them out west. I've used them up north. They flat get the job done. They're not super expensive. They're not the cheapest, but they're not super expensive. And when I order those from Minnesota, they're, they're, they're laminated. I get them modified. So when I get them, they're ready to go. Great trap. So as far as production that I would use anywhere in the country, personally, and this is just personal, I'm not saying I'm right, if I'm gonna use a coal spring, it's a number three, 
dogless Bridger that's laminated because they already come with good base plates and all that. I don't even bubble tip the ends anymore. Metal's very, as you don't see the need anymore. So that, that was, if I was going to say Cool Spring, that'd be my favorite trap. My other favorite traps, because of, I just like using them, and there's some huge advantages to using long springs sometimes, is a number three or a number four Sleepy Creek. Now, I have not used the Bridgers. I'm sure they're probably just as good, but the first ones I bought were Sleepy Creek. I got a deal on them. I had to go, actually, he's going to North, uh, South Carolina to trap. They've got a jaw restriction. Everything I had was six and a half inches, so nothing was legal. So I ordered a bunch of these long springs just because I wanted to play around with them. And, man, that's a hell of a trap. It's simple. It, it beds itself. It can get a light freeze and still catch because you don't have levers that get froze down like you do with a cold spring. There's a lot of different different things for this. And it did very well. The only issue I had with them on my first trip is if I got really heavy head clay, this was in more of a warmer time of the year, I had to be very cautious with covering the springs with the clay. Besides that, amazing. I like bigger traps. That's the way I started. That's the people I listened to is what they said. That's kind of what my experience shows. A really good coyote trap or cat trap to me, and I know you 550 guys get mad when I say this, is a six and a half inch trap. That's just me personally. It's an opinion. If we're gonna talk hot rods, I want a Mopar. So I got a Challenger. Are Chevys and Fords fast? Yes. You can turn them things into fire-breathing monsters. There's something about a Mopar to me I just like. So if I can afford one, that's what I'm getting. And it's, sometimes it's that way with traps. So after I got to threes, I bought a bunch of fours, then I bought more fours, then more fours. I like the fours a little bit better just because it gave me a six inch trap. The cool thing about the long springs is before we had an expand the pans that you could just order bigger pans and bolt them on. They were very simple for me to add electrical box plates and turn a standard pan into a big pan. That's where all that got started after the CDRs. And I know a lot of y'all have seen my Cat Collector DVD. When I buy CDRs, they're not being made today as far as I know, at least not real ones. I've heard there's some knockoffs coming from China and people are having problems with them. I don't know. When I buy CDRs today to go to Texas to do what I did in Texas, the answer is no. Now the CDR, just so everybody understands, we're in a place that has no cats, no house cats, and no dogs, no people. We didn't have to worry about that. I was using the CDR 
because I could get a bigger pan in it. The neat thing about the CDR is it was built kind of like the number three Victors used to be, the round jaws. They didn't have high jaws. So even though the jaw spread on that thing from corner to corner said seven and a half inches, when it was closed, it was almost the exact height of a number three Bridger. So I wasn't getting a higher grab, I just had a bigger platform for the pan. Now, when I bought CDRs, and I bought a lot of them, it was super expensive. Once I started using the number four long springs, for about $180 less, I could almost get the same size pan in the long spring for a whole lot cheaper, and it did the job just the same. So that may surprise some of you that I'm not saying CDR. Now, if you're in a place and you gotta worry about domestic cats and domestic dogs and people, and CDR is a bad choice. The optics is bad. What it does to the animal is not bad, especially with it having square lamination on it the way that I have in that video. I had very little damage from a CDR. It was so heavy, the animal was wore out in 30 seconds and just lay there and panted. Because it's like I hook a 55-gallon drum of glycerin up to you and you're not taking it very far and you figure out pretty quick that you're not taking it very far. Kind of the same principle. But because the four Long Spring Sleepy Creek allowed me, and I think if they're not being made, I'm pretty sure Brian down at Southern Snares, he bought that. If he's not making them now, I'm sure he is in the future. And there's a whole bunch of used ones out on the market. I can put, and it's got a nut and bolt system, so it's not a pinch pan, and I could put a big pan on there cheap, and if I was starting over today with the big pans, I would not have the CDRs because they're heavy. You can only carry so many, and when you add 10 foot of chain and a you know two pound drag, every single system weighed a lot. It really helped with the four, the, the four long springs. So my two favorite today for production, for me personally, that I've used a lot, is the number three Bridger Douglas, laminated, and the number four Long Spring with a big pan on it. And I even put big pans from Chip, expanded pans, on my number three Douglas Bridgers. Now, there's a lot of traps I didn't mention. The no BS traps, I've never used them because I own too many traps as it is. And that's not an exaggeration, it's embarrassing. So to get me to buy traps, you're gonna have to have something that super excites me. The closest thing lately to super excite me would probably be the no BS traps. The pans below the jaws like the KB. He's built them like a tank a tank could probably run over it and not bend it, and if you had to break into a tank, just swing the chain, you'll probably go through the armor. It is a piece of equipment that your great-great-grandchildren will be able to use. It's super strong. 
the platform seems a lot like the Bridgers. His pan being below that is awesome. Now, what about Dukes? I don't have any problem with Dukes. You may have to modify them, at least the older ones. I knew Robert Waddell out of Missouri, which is a monster trapper. He used to catch everything, and he probably still does, in number three Dukes uh, that were round jaws. He modified the crap out of that thing. He took a cheap trap and made it into an amazing trap. Would they work without all that? Yeah. Yeah, I've had students that use them and caught plenty of coyotes. You know, um, the 550s, there's a cult following on the 550s. People love them. I don't have anything against them. I just want something that's a little bit bigger. Now Duke's come out with a basically a 550 that's in a six and a half jaw spread. I haven't got to test those. So I don't know, but I'm it looks like it's gonna be a pretty good trap. You have um, the only traps that I've had a lot of issues with as far as damage is a friend of mine, I went with him one time on several occasions, and he had a bunch of BMI traps that's probably, if they're still in business, I'm sure this has been fixed by now too, they just got mangled. So that left a bad impression. A lot of people have caught a lot of stuff in those traps. So if, if you're looking for what is the best trap, there isn't one. Pretty much any trap you buy today is 20 times better than the Wolfers used back in the 30s and 40s. And yes, I'm talking about the three ends with the pinch pans, the Blake and Lambs, the Undersprings, and, and all this craziness that you see on antique dealers. A Duke today will out-catch and out-hold what they were catching, way more coyotes than most people today catch. They caught them because they understood coyotes and they knew how to put coyotes in traps. They had a lot of pull-out problems that even with the cheaper traps you're not going to have. So, my recommendation is before you take someone's word on what the best trap is, is go to some conventions or go to, even if you've got to drive four or five hours, it's worth it to go to somewhere like Funky Trap Tags or F&T or Cumberland's or Minnesota or any bigger dealer that's got several brands that you can physically put your paws on and look at them, feel them, set them. Which ones are you comfortable with? Which ones do you struggle with? They're all going to work great. It's kind of going back to that, if I'm going to build a hot rod, I want a Mopar. Even though I know that I can build a Chevrolet cheaper. It, it really comes down to what you're comfortable with. 
any modern trap today that's on the market that I know of is a good trap. If you're low on resources, money, and you want to get traps and you can't afford more expensive traps, you're still going to do good. You may have to adjust some stuff out of the box. You may have to play with your pan tension a little bit more, put some washers in there. You may have to do some things like that, but you've got a better trap than what the old woofers had when them guys were catching some of them over a thousand coyotes in a season. There's not bad traps on the market. The technology and the designs are light years ahead of what we had 70, 80 years ago. Get what you can afford. And it's, it's kind of like, uh, put this in a, See, every time you talk about brands and stuff, you're going to make somebody mad. And and I don't want to do that. So if I mention something here that, that you're a fan of, don't get mad at me. I'm just using that as an example. Let's say you want to get a carry defense pistol. You can get a Kel-Tec 9mm for probably 300 bucks. It will put holes in people. It is big, it is heavy. I don't know how in the world you're gonna conceal that under a t-shirt, but it's cheap and it works. And the main thing is if you ever need it, it works. It puts rounds down range. Or you could go up to a mid-range pistol, say a Glock, Rock River, uh, some of the cheaper Springfields, just different brands that are in, say, the you're not in the $300 gun range, you're in the five to $700 gun range. Well, they're probably going to be a little bit smaller, a little bit lighter, a little bit better quality, but it still puts the same projection down range if you need it as the, the Kel-Tep cheap gun does. So they'll both work. And if you've got the money and you want to step out and buy a, a Colt Commander edition or a Kimber or Dan Wesson, or I mean, I just can't name it off names. Well, now you're getting up to, you know, $1,214, for a gun that puts the same projection at the same speed with the same velocity downrange. And the uh, Coke Commander people will kind of scoff at the Glock people, and the Glock people will kind of scoff at the Caltech people. But if you ever need any of those, they work good. They function well. There's snobbery in guns, cars, bows, and traps. But rest assured, today, pretty much any trap you buy is going to get the job done. may not be one that your, your buddies are jealous of. Make them jealous of your catch. 
It may not have the bells and whistles of a $400 dozen trap. Make them jealous with the catch. Because that $400 trap doesn't catch more than the cheaper trap if it's not on good location with good lure and bait in a natural setting where cows are going to work it. That's up to the person. Just like if you break in someone's house, someone with a $300 Caltech can still put a hole in you. Just like someone that's got a Raptor Kimber does. You're not going to care at that moment what the brand is or how much it costs. What turns you on with the traps is what's important, what's comfortable, what you can set consistently. And you will find out all traps will have little idiosyncrasies when they come to them. Some of them are harder to set when they get mud on them. Some are easier. Um, some bed, depending on how you bed a trap. Some bed easier for your style. So there's really not a best. Because the real part of the equation that matters is you. Because I can take a very qualified and good coyote trapper with low dollar traps and out catch a second year trapper with $700 traps that's been modified and gold plated. My other advice before we close the show when it comes to traps. If you're not sure, order, it's going to be a little bit more expensive per trap, but you'll be better off. Order two or three of all the ones you're thinking of instead of ordering dozens. Go out when the season starts and put them to work. Towards the end of that season, you'll probably be down to two or three traps you want to buy. And you may be surprised, it may not be the most expensive ones. Because of the way that you set in your environment, with your style, and the way that you're trapping. Your physical strength, your ground type, all these things are going to come into play. So if I, if I was going blind and I was getting into this, I would order, like if I was, if, if my mind is still the way it is where I want a six to six and a half inch jaw trap, I would start at Duke's and I would probably end up at Jake's and everything in between and I'd buy a couple of each. You're going to find out they're all going to work, but then at the end of the year, you're going to realize there's a trap that you wish you had more than the others. That's the one you go buy dozens of. And I hope that helps, and I'll talk to you all next week.